0: time for the beer radio you've been looking for this is the show that dispels myths tackles the toughest topics and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer
1: hosted by two guys that drink before they think jamil Chef and john palmer this is brew strong hey howdy hey my brewing brothers and sisters I'm Jamel Zanishef. I'm Travis cobble And I'm Mike Persine, and you're listening to Brew Strong. <laughs> All right. With the guns. Yeah, yeah you almost sound like the uh, the uh, announcer. I was trying. Except, except it sounds like you got that nut thing. I was <laughs> thinking when you said except that. Except for that <laughs> nut thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's good to be back. It's been, been a little while. Because we had, like, a Christmas, a New Year's, a a January. I'm not sure when we last did shows. It may have been in January. (laughs) But darn if I can remember. But uh, I got a lot of traveling coming up. I'm going to be gone for, like, five weeks, starting in March and through Mm -hmm. early April. So, I was like, well, we need to get some shows in the in the in the uh in the hopper there or we're gonna be in trouble. And all right. So many things to cover. One, I'm gonna be traveling and I'm going to uh Iceland with family, then Sweden for the uh, brewers conference in Malmo. Uh then uh I'm gonna do a couple collab beers there. They're gonna be on tap while while I'm there. Uh with nice. one with Malmo Brewing and one with Brewhouse 19. Wonderful brewers, all of them. Uh it's gonna be some great beers. If you're around Malmo or you wanna go to a Brewers Conference and a great uh, beer fest, head to Malmo. Uh then from there I'm going to uh Munich for for Strong Beer Fest, Stark Beer Fest. Interesting. Uh that's where all the uh, they're serving doppelbox, right? So everybody goes to Oktoberfest, but they don't know that. You can go to Stark Beer Fest, the Strong Beer Fest. And so I'm going to go and, uh, enjoy lots of, uh, strong beer and, uh, I'm going to do some brewery tours, the Ondex and, uh, uh, Inger and, uh, uh, Augustiner and Polliner. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a blast. And then I'm off, off to, uh, Brussels for a few days. I'm going to visit, probably stop by, uh, Rodenbach and then, uh, Go to visit a friend of mine in uh, uh, Rotterdam. And then over to England, Nottingham, York, Birmingham, Brighton, uh, Jason Ledford's coming. Matt Thomas is coming. Uh, my uh, dear friend Mitch Steele is going to be there with his wife. Uh, we're going nice. to do a hand brewing, is brewing essentially an Evil 3 uh, there, which is really something special there because all the, the duties, the taxes are really high so it makes brewing bring one of those beers like you know a lost uh you know you you just can't uh you know it, it just costs you more to brew it than you can make off of the thing so they're gonna probably yeah. lose money on this thing but they're doing it because they love the the idea and mitch and i love it so mitch and i are going to be there we're actually going to be online oh jesus uh whew, february 28th next week week from today we're going to be uh online doing uh, uh we'll be there for the mash and we'll be there for the whirlpool be answering questions both mitch and i so that'll be a blast, last and then uh we're, we're gonna be there for the release and the release is april oh, wow. 5th uh friday april 5th uh it's going to be a like a beer crawl pub crawl party thing it's going to start at hand in hand in brighton and uh, we're going to hit a, all the pubs that, that have it on tap. And then we're going to end up back at hand in hand. Um, I'll probably need a liver exchange at that point. But uh, <laughs> it will be amazing. Then over been, to Ports, Portsmouth for a day, uh, there's a couple of great uh, little craft breweries there. There's the HMS Mary Rose, which I really want to see. Uh, so it's going to be a hell of a trip. If anybody listening is in any of those cities or going to be in any of those cities, hey, reach out. Let me know. I'd, I'd love, to, love to meet up with you. I'm sorry. I have a name for you to consider. Yes. Evil 3000 shilling. (laughs) There you go. For the taxes it's going to cost per pint. Right. Then you may have heard our dear friend, John Blickman is retiring. What does that mean for us? I don't know. (laughs) Who cares? I mean, I do care, but immediately when, when uh, Travis broke the news to me, I didn't even get like, you know, Blickman didn't even let me, let me know. Uh, but I got, uh, a, uh, an idea that we should have a retirement party for John Blickman. Huh? Huh? So I like it. uh one of the things that we did uh, over the course of time was um we um, did a, 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 like a, a prize for people who had bought Blickman gear over the course of an entire year, John Blickman, John Palmer, and myself, we went out to brew with the, that person. Turned out that person was Kevin Drake. Uh, in Kings Beach, uh, you know, uh, northern Lake Tahoe. And after that, uh, a couple of years after that, he opened Alibi uh, Ale Works, And so it's kind of cool that he opened that. And I've kept in touch with him and I've been there and you know, he's making great beer. And uh, so I thought, what better than to bring back John Blickman out to Kings Beach to uh, hang out at Ale, Alibi Ale Works? We're going to do a collab beer. Palmer's going to be there. I'm going to be there. I think we got Justin to show up there, uh, and uh, I think uh, Michael is probably going to be there with us. Yeah,
2: heck yeah, it's right up the road for me.
1: Yeah, it's so going to be minutes. Uh, <laughs> May May fourth of 2024. It is a Saturday. That's the the day of the party. Uh, we'll be, you know we'll probably be in Reno on uh, the Friday before, but uh, get yourself out to Alibi Aleworks. Uh, on the uh, May 4th, Saturday, May 4th. There'll probably be sometime in the afternoon. I'm hoping come out. We'll party. Blickman, I'll be there. Paul will be there. I think Justin's going to be there. Uh, Michael's going to be there. It's going to be a blast. So, uh, you know, come on out, do that. And, uh, you know, support, uh, you know, for one, one last time, come out and say thank you to John Blickman for sponsoring this show. You can uh, see all their stuff at BlickmanEngineering.com. BlickmanEngineering is still going to continue. He is kind of passing the reins to his his uh, second-in-command. And uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, since John Blickman's a little addled in the brain, uh, probably things will improve now that he's going. That's what I'm thinking. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, well, I think they're going to be the exact same. There you go. <laughs> <So, yeah. Well, laughs> Come to Alibi Works and find out uh, how, how, how many brain cells uh, John Blickman still has. That's uh, such a great time. Still has. Yeah. And then, no, one more. Um, people have been asking for Bruce Strong merch. They're like, hey, you know, can't get Bruce Strong merch. Uh, you know, it's not on the Brain Network site anymore. Yeah, I apologize for that. Um, you can get Bruce Strong merch and Mr. Multi merch if you're a Mr. Multi fan, uh, which I know you are. Uh there's an Etsy store uh called Mr. Malty. Uh capital M, little case r, capital M A L T Y, Mr. Multi at the Etsy, uh the Etsy thing. Uh it is uh com slash shop slash mr multi. And um all profits from that actually go in my pocket.
0: So there you go. <laughs> it's not much, but hey, I'll take any quat lose I can get. You have to pay for that trip to uh, Reno somehow. You got yeah, right. exactly. You know what quad are, I like right?
2: how all the travel. You got to pay for that <laughs> trip to Reno.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The trip, the trip to Reno. The, the other That's stuff, the it's one. near, it's near free. Right. Uh, yeah. This is the Reno <laughs> stuff that really, really sets me back. And I was just up there, just just up, uh, hanging out with Michael. It was a blast. Yeah. It went it was went a lot of fun. went for a, a kind of a Valentine's Day romp. The wife uh, went and saw wow. Bert, Bert Kreischer. It was great at the at the. Uh, at the GSR. It's a blast. The machine. The machine. Yes. <laughs> T- TC, if you don't know Bert Kreischer, you should look him up.
0: I, I shall, because I don't. You would enjoy the heck out of him. He's great. He really is great. I think you'd like the visuals the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scare me, Mike. <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, he's he's just us. I don't, mean, you know, he's just oh, us nice hanging story. out. Yeah. Hey, it, make sure you invite him to that, uh, to, to Blitman's uh, retirement party. I, I shall. There you go. Nice.
1: He's in Los Angeles. God knows he could
0: be somewhere around the world. He's
1: become quite famous. The machine has become quite famous. Today, <coughs> we are, um, we've got so many questions about fermentation. I just kind of bundled a bunch up into uh, kind of a fermentation focused show uh, to answer, answer your questions. These are not quick ones. That's why they haven't been answered in years. All right. Paul asks, uh, back in 2014. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey, it's less than a decade. Give me a break. Paul asks, I recently bought brewing classic styles. And in the book, Jamel suggests decanting the beer from a yeast starter. The method described in BCS suggests cold crashing a starter and states that it may take a day or two to cold crash. I'm confused about when to make a yeast starter of it if it takes a few days to cold crash. Uh, That's a good point. Uh, Should I make a starter five days before brew day, cold crash for a day or two, and then let the yeast wake up on brew day? Thanks, Paul. So it doesn't take, you know, it, it might take a day for the yeast to sell. It depends on the yeast. Some yeast will settle much quicker than others, so it could take two days. But generally, I mean, it can take less than a day for the yeast to really settle out. the The, the point is, you don't want there to be a lot of yeast in, in the in the liquid, and then pour the liquid off, lose a bunch of yeast as your finishes. Yeah, um, so it shouldn't take several days for the starter to to go. The starter, generally, all growth is done generally within 24 hours, I would say. Anywhere between 18 and 40 hours, all your growth is done anyways. On a, on a stir plate, it's probably even quicker than that. Uh, so, you know, you could you make starter, you know, one day and then, you know, put it in the fridge the next day and it should be settled out. And, and then the next day you can just go direct pitching it in. You don't know, even have to wake it up. You could
0: if you want, but I don't think you you need to. Um, what are you, What are you guys doing? How are you handling this? I went straight towards the end where he said "wake up," and I thought he might not mean what you and I mean is "wake up," but we should save that one for later. I I, I mean for for an ale, I I don't chill mine necessarily. I I spend for a day, settle for a day, decant, pitch. I'll get pretty close to pitching temp. That's sixty six. Not very mm-hmm. cool. I mean, that's warmer than your room temp right now, probably Jamel, based on that hoodie. <laughs> But uh, it's, I mean, on the lager, I'm going to treat it differently. I'm going to give it more time for settling and get it to a nice cooler temperature, et cetera. But basically, that's, that's, that's about all I do. Yeah. How about you, Michael? Yeah. So
2: if I'm brewing on Saturday, I figure I'll be pitching later that evening or that afternoon, you know, mm-hmm. five to seven, somewhere in there. So I usually make a starter that Thursday. So two days prior, 48 hours, like you said, I use a stir plate. So I do a 14 hours on the stir plate. It cuts the stirring, let it finish out. When I start to see kind of everything going to sleep, I'll, I, I end up putting it in the fridge usually that Friday night. And, uh, it has a whole day to, to kind of chill. And I don't, it, it, and ales loggers. I don't really differentiate a lot of what, what I feel like with decanting has to do with the size of the starter and if it's going to affect, um, Right. for me, I, I'm more about the affecting the, the starting gravity and kind of throwing those numbers off. So mm-hmm. I will decant larger starters if I made like a little baby starter just to wake stuff up, then I don't really care. But if I made like a big five liter starter for a log or something, I will definitely give it the whole day decant off. I try to decant off as much as I can without getting that cake coming off oh you know out the top, so I really go for it, and then because uh, right. I figure any of that beer that has any kind of suspended yeast in it, I mean those are the yeast cells that you kind of don't want because they don't flock. So yeah, if they're, they're if dusty. they're real
1: if they're real dusty, yeah, yeah you, So you know you can leave those behind. I so. wouldn't worry about those, and yeah, yeah, you can you can chill it, and um, you know, and then the morning of, you know, you can at the morning of, or or you know, or leave it sitting there, let it warm up a little bit before you, uh, before brew brew time, you know, uh, before pitching time, you know, like the start of a, or some point during the day, uh, let it kind of come up to whatever temperature or leave it cold. If you're, if you're doing a logger,
0: um, Yeah,
2: I'm, I've heard conflicting information about the hot versus cold versus same temp versus whatever. I mean, there's certain companies that advertise store cold, pitch cold. So I, I don't really even mind yeah. if it comes right out of the fridge and goes in the fermenter. So you have not hurt the beers.
1: You want to be within, you know, maximum 10 degrees C, you know, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, even less is better um, because it does stress the yeast and they they end up using their efforts to create these uh, heat shock proteins. Um, Whether it's going cold to hot or hot to cold, they will do that. And you really don't want that to happen. Um, So it's best to be within a certain temperature. Uh, Even, you know, the dry yeast manufacturers will say, hey, you know, try and be within, you know, 10 degrees and, and less is better, I think. That gentleman, did
0: he tell you, I mean, you interviewed him, was he at 10C? Uh, I don't think we we discussed that. Maybe okay. I thought it came up in that in that show. Yeah, for me. Ten C is pretty huge. Uh, I'm yeah. not saying it's about twenty F. I don't do it, so I don't know how how the effect is. I mean, I get it within five, maybe six. Yeah, F. Okay. it's easy. Yeah, yeah it's I like to deal. stay
1: within you know ten uh, maximum. Let's do this. Let's take a
0: short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this.
2: Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew
1: Strong. All right, we're back. You're listening to Brew Strong, and uh, I got my buddies uh, TC and Michael, and we are uh, talking uh, talking yeast and fermentation. Uh, Andrew is uh, listening in uh, the rather warm Melbourne. And, uh, people talking about the concept of pitching starters at high Krausen of the starter. So no sleep, cooling, pitch it 12 to 18 hours after starting. Our friend John Palmer thinks, uh, thinks so. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can do that as well. The issue with, um, a lot of starters is that the quality of the spent starter wort is not very good. The, 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 the flavor of it uh, is going to be hot alcohols and, um, intense esters. And it's, it's not something you want to add, you know, to a lager or, or a lot of different beers. Uh, and especially if it's a larger starter, it can be problematic. So that's why a lot of times we want to decant the, the, uh, spent wort, the, the beer that's made in the starter, and then, um, uh, you know, uh, pitch just the yeast or Uh, You know, if you've harvested yeast, one of my favorite things is to to collect the yeast from the previous batch, you know, uh, give it a rinse and then, um, you know, store it. And then the day of brewing, wake it up with some some wort at a reasonable temperature. Then it's kind of like a mini ferment and gets gets it going. And then it's really rocking and rolling. I kind of like that. What do you guys think on? Uh... Yeah,
2: I, I, uh, I same exact thought process where it depends on the size of the starter, and then kind of yeah, with the Kai Croissant you're basically pitching the yeast when they're fully in the middle of their metabolism cycle, so they go right to work. I mean, you would have almost zero lag time. I mean, mm-hmm. because they're just going to get right down to it. So yeah, that's a a really good way. But like you said, I would encourage people if they've never tried starter work to just take a little sip. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. kill you just to kind of get an idea of what we mean when we say it doesn't taste good because right. it is not good. It's awful. I, I, every time I tried, I was like, why did I just do that? <laughs> but yeah. it might be worth it for your brewing experience to, to try it out. So it's not that bad.
0: I'm being dramatic. A, a good decant to me once tasted almost exactly like Miller Lite. No kidding. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's odd. Uh, and it was a lager. It was an ale yeast on top of it. But um, hmm. yeah, like Mike said on the last question, dilution, you don't need to dilute your beer with that flavor, whatever that flavor yeah. is, yeah. Or that alcohol. It's, it's not likely what you're brewing. If it is, you should have just made a bigger starter and you already had your beer. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I decant until I have just enough to get that slurry. Horrible. You know, mm-hmm. I, try, I try to target to be just that, just enough. So, I, so you, can, you can get all of, the, the, yeah. the, the yeast out of the, the flask or whatever. Yeah, you're not sitting there, give you a good motion. Jerking that key, Kate, trying to get it out of the flask. <laughs> that was quite
2: the, for all the podcasters not watching the video, that was worth uh, a watch. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also worth a watch is, uh, if you see this live, you can actually ask your questions. Uh, you go to the comments section, and we're actually watching the comments section uh, on Facebook there. And that's how Andrew asked his question. You just go to the comment section and uh, you type in your comment as a question, and we are we are we are there. All right, I think that was a good question to kick us off. Yeah. I think um, you know you each you each are in a point off of that. Uh, good job, Yay. good job. Oh crap! Here we go. Uh, <clears throat> now 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 for your bonus question, your 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 audio round, your your uh, your special question: What song? What one hit wonder song starts out with the the phrase? Uga shaka, uga oh, shaka, uga shaka, uga, uga, uga.
0: Oh wow! No bonus. No, you're well, close. I, that's, that's the lyric. Sorry, I know if this it was close. Jeopardy, I'm waiting for that. Toot, toot, toot. You're close.
2: <laughs>
0: close, close. Michael? I don't have an answer. Chance to steal.
2: I I've heard that song before. It's a but... Tom
0: Jones song, correct? No. <laughs> what am I thinking of? This is worth five points. Uh, I'll wait for the bonus round. You're you're bonus, close. Bonus.
2: You're close. Who who is Limp Bizkit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Come on! It is ho- hooked on a feeling.
0: Oh,
1: okay. Um, blue suede, nineteen seventy four. This is what I was rocking out to when I was thirteen years old. Can we take points from you for saying that? Or no? <laughs> ah, there is no way of taking or giving points to the the game master. Well, it's just <laughs> just how it is. Just how it is.
0: I had my 8-track uh, player jamming, uh, hooked on a feeling. Serious question. Yes. How many times did you play that 8-track before it just 8 to take? I played it a lot. Okay, that's good. I mean, I had like a, a, uh, like a stereo home unit that would okay. have played the 8-tracks. It wasn't like a car deck. Right. Right. Come on. Because yeah, for people that don't know, an 8-track is a continuous loop. <laughs> yes. I was 13 years old. I did not have a car. But you had a stereo. Stereo Jamil or a stereo Jamil, yes.
1: and 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 I think it was nineteen seventy four ish, seventy five ish, and uh, I was, a track was already on the way out, and uh, I think for five dollars I got the, uh, a track player, and a bunch of a track, for five bucks, so some yard sale, and that's that's what I rocked out to.
0: <laughs> I had uh, Steve Martin on a track, nice. You're too young to have a track. Well, as my dad upgraded to not eight track, it ended up. You you ended up with uh, a track. Yep, that makes sense. All right. Well, I I
1: think I think I think Travis deserves a couple of points, partial credit for that. I would give you. I would give you um, two points. Two points for that. That's pretty Uh good.
0: I mean, I thought Mike's witty response deserved more than two points.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so too young for that. Sorry. Cassette is as far back as I go.
1: Yes. All right. Uh, Matt. uh, He asks, uh, Matt from Virginia asks, here's a pitch rate calculator question I'm sure you get frequently. So let's get get it on the air. With fresh yeast and low gravity, the pitch rate calculator frequently tells me to pitch one pack into one liter regardless of gravity. That makes sense that waking the yeast up is a good thing. Yeah, you don't want to put your starter wort into too small an environment uh, or your your yeast pitch into too small an environment it's fine for a little bit of time like you're waking it up but if you're you're looking for growth you're not going to get it uh in less than a liter generally uh but sometimes i'm making a multi-step starter and need to know approximately how much yeast will be produced so please tell me if this is proper usage of your tool Oscar oh, for inevitable job. he's using my tool he sees cracking up Uh, If I uh, keep bumping the gravity up until it tells me to make a starter greater than a liter, then can I assume that the amount of yeast cells needed is a fair estimate of how much is in my starter? That's probably correct. Doesn't that imply that I'm overpitching lower gravity beers? Could be, but it's difficult to overpitch. You could, and maybe using a bit less would get you a bit more... Esther production, or you know, a different character to the beer, but um, you know, you could always, uh, you know, put a bit less in. Uh, can I punch this cell count number in manually as the viability number for a second step starter?
0: Viability number for a second step starter. Um, and he's, he's gaming the date on the pack to get a viability to get an to get a count. And I would say I've used your calculator every way I can especially now that Bookman comes out with, uh, not Bookman, sorry, uh, Chris comes out with the 1.5 packs. Mm-hmm. So I have to do things to make it look like three packs instead of one pack. Right. Yeah. So I would, I would, the short answer to him is I would say, yeah, use that calculator any way you want. It mm-hmm. makes great beer. Well, and what I need to do is recreate the calculator. Mm, it's a novel idea. never heard that one before. The the, uh, the website
1: is, I created the very first yeast pitch calculator. And um then everybody started, you know, I got so much traffic to my website, which I didn't monetize, didn't really care. It was a tool to help people. And then everybody's like uh started uh trying to reverse engineer the the data. And they they took a whole bunch of data points, made their own curves and, and so they're they're pretty close. They're not exactly the same, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I think TC's right you can you can monkey around with it and the the underlying formula the underlying curve that predicts how much yeast is going to be produced is still accurate regardless of how you kind of get to that point
2: now is that using a stir a stir plate or is it just manually stirring or well
0: is
1: the yeast different... calculator had both uh, stirred right. and non-stirred
0: shaken it had settings for all those things yeah Don't tell me that thing failed before when Biscuit came out.
2: I was just saying, I see your game, Jamil. You just wanted everybody to play with your tool. (laughs) You didn't want to monetize. You just wanted people touching your tool.
0: There was a disclaimer at the bottom of the website that says, "P.S. I should be paying you." Michael is correct.
1: Michael gets two points for that. The game is tied. (laughs) The uh, the only
2: thing I can say about this. Starter calculator is, yeah, like Jamil said, it's hard to overpitch. And then when you're using these, they are models. They're not perfect. And unless you're plating and hemocytometer counting and getting actual pitch rates, you're you're getting a good estimate. So track it all, brew it, taste it. If you liked it, do it again with that same setup.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's hard to overpitch. Right. To finish. Uh, let's see here. Matt says, back in 2014, says, Jamil and John. When using the yeastcalculator.com, sorry, Jamel. Ah, see, these people coming out with, it was 2014. They already had this on uh, to calculate my starter size. There is a box that shows inoculation rate in millions per mil. It states that inoculation rates should be between 25 and 100 to maximize the health and vitality of the yeast. I typically brew for three-gallon batches, so I don't need to make big starters with my stir plate. But when I input, say, half a liter as my starter size to get the necessary pitching rate, my inoculation rate can jump to nearly 200 million per mil, nearly twice the upper range of the recommended amount. I understand the reasoning behind this concept, but is there a different range that you go by? And how important is this really? Uh, Should I just make a big enough starter to stay within this range and save enough of the created yeast for future batch? Thanks, Matt. Okay. Couple of things. One is uh, in the previous question we were talking about, you know, the, the reason the, the Mr. Multi calculator always said, well, you got to start with a leader. Don't go below a leader was in this, it'll let you go below a leader. And it's like, well, no, then your uh, inoculation rate gets too high you're essentially kind of screwing with the yeast you're starting them up and then they just burn their reserves they don't have enough there isn't enough uh sugars and nutrients there for them to really start to grow so they're you're you're kind of spinning their wheels and you the the yeast can actually end up worse off than if you didn't use a starter so there are times when you don't need to make a starter, you have enough yeast and unless you're wanting to uh, grow yeast in a starter and then you know uh, you could do one liter starter and then split the the amount of that yeast in half that you get, store half of it you know or brew two batches you know uh, or store some of it, and then make a starter from that next time you want to brew, but you don't have to make a starter you could just take uh, the, the Y yeast or White Labs or Imperial or, you know, BSI or whoever, and you just throw it directly in. You're good to go. You don't necessarily always have to make a starter. Uh, I like the idea of waking it up, you know, adding your yeast to some wort and just making sure that it's active. And it looks like, you know, most of those yeast are are good to go, uh, because if you don't, you make all your wort and then the yeast are dead which I've had happen. Some strains of yeast are really sensitive and get a package of yeast and nothing. So that's why I like to do the wake up thing.
0: Even if you're not making a starter. If you're waking it up right before your pitch. When I say right, day of pitch versus mm-hmm. versus making a super saturated starter two days in advance and ending up with nothing. You're saying, go ahead and make your super, super saturated. looks like a starter that's really waking it up. Do that the day you're brewing and be ready to use it as it's coming up.
2: Michael? I mean, yeah, you can. I, I tend to just throw the packet in there. I don't really, I haven't tried that method where I just wake yeah. them up. I just, well, I figure
1: when, when you have like a, into... a dead bunch of yeast and then it's sitting there for two days and you're just yeah. like, this ain't working. This ain't taking out. I have had that. I have had that. So
2: it was freak, it freaked me out. I've had like a Belgian take 48 hours to even make a bubble in my blood. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah.
2: Now I, I was going to try to get your guys' thoughts on the different pitch rate units because there's that million cells per mil, but then there's also million cells per milliliter per degree Play-Doh, which is the one that yes. I use, and yes. I like that the per Play-Doh. So it has to do with the strength of the word affects that's, your pitch rate as well. So
1: that's the correct one. That's right. that's the pitch rate. If you're not including that, I think in this question, he's ta- in that calculator, I, I took a look at that calculator. They're talking about the inoculation rate of the starter, mm-hmm. and they're saying, you know, don't go beyond. Again, that kind of ignores, you know, starter strength, but you know, let's assume, you know, it's a, it's a starter, an average starter. So, uh, I think it's a a good idea to be between, I, I don't think 25 is necessary. I, I think there should be no lower rate. That doesn't make sense to me. You may not, you know, I, the lower number makes zero sense to me. Shouldn't be between 25 and 100, it should be zero and 100. Right. If you have one yeast cell, you could throw it into the, the ocean of wort and you'll get growth. Maybe right. you're wasting some some starter wort, but that's all that's that's the only bad thing that will happen
0: to you there. I wonder if they recommend it because their calculator won't won't properly do a growth. If you underpitch. it'll show more growth than you'd actually get. No, it won't say no, no, you can't uh, get that much growth. So maybe instead right, sort of limiting right. the calculator to 4x or so. It says, oh, there's all kinds of extra sugars in here. It'll go 10x. Um, I don't know. I don't well, know maybe, about that calculator. For sure. maybe.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. But 100 as is, is a max sounds you know, reasonable, I guess. Hard to say. I'd have to run the numbers. But, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Good question. And if you have questions, you can ask them either live in the, uh, in the chat uh, when we're uh, doing these shows live or you can email them to Brew strong at the brewing And, uh, we will get to those questions. We're getting the new questions. We are totally caught up on. <laughs> we're getting to those right away. The, the old questions I have, I'm bound and determined to answer every question that was ever sent in. So that's why these old questions come up because we're all caught up on the new ones. So ask your, ask your new questions. We'll get to them, you know, generally by the next show. Speaking of new questions, uh, Andrews he's following up. He says, uh, does chilling the starter prompt the yeast to store glycerols? So yes, shift phases, but provide a benefit. Uh, oh, and for a lager, should a starter volume be bigger than two liters? Is volume the most limiting factor for yeast multiplication? Oh, you're already answering this. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Well, um, yeast will generally, um, you know, you'll get a, about, you know, four X growth on, on yeast or four, four, four buddings, uh, on the yeast. That's kind of the limit. Even if, you know, you have a massive volume and then, you know, you, there's ways you can manipulate that with, uh, keeping them in an aerobic state. Uh, versus uh, letting them uh, get into fermentation, um, there are ways to do it, but not really, not really that uh, user friendly uh, for the home brewer. Yes, uh, so crash chilling the starter can cause the yeast to uh, store uh, glycerols. Uh, they try to pack in a little bit of energy to keep them alive during, uh, you know, a period of no uh, sugar, and when you chill them. So the yeast manufacturers will do that. They will chill the yeast at a very specific point and that causes them to take up some, some energy and store it for a future, uh, you know, when they wake up again. So yes, that can help. Brent in the chat says, uh, did my log beer, nice, clean tart beer, and I'm sure there is a mixture of bread, sack and lack in it. Suggestions on banking or even making a starter. I know these all don't propagate at the same rate, so... You would be surprised at how a mixed culture kind of survives and does well. The, the thinking in the past was a mixed culture. It's not going to work out because something will dominate and uh, cause the um, a mixed culture to. Uh, not be in balance in the future, but it it seems to me through all the things that I've done with existing mixed cultures and repitching mixed cultures is that perhaps the cell counts are different, but the resulting flavor of the beer tends to be the same. You know, it's like maybe the flavor comes on at different phases, but uh, in general, uh, you know the souring will still happen, and the funky will still happen everything will still happen so I would just you know collect the uh collect the yeast off of your mixed uh your mixed fermentation and then you know just uh you know treat it like anything else uh just be aware that you know you are working with bacteria and wild yeast and you don't want to necessarily get get that in some of your other beers uh, so be careful with that. Have you guys mess, messed around with mixed fermentation and repitching? I have not. Minus two points.
2: I can only say that I actually tried this beer right after I left hanging out with you, Jamil. He had mm-hmm. it at the Homebrew Club meeting. Uh-huh. It is pretty good. I mean, for throwing a log in some wort and letting things happen. I mean, it is, like you said, it's pretty dang clean. The sourness is is intense but it it is well balanced and so i I just want to say good job brent that was a good beer good luck repitching but no i I haven't it's on my list of things to do or or
1: relogging maybe re-logging. maybe you should just yeah, save the just... log dry it out and reuse the log every time this is essentially what something. the the uh, Norwegians did right the kaviikis yep I don't know about you Tra- travis i uh
2: I have a a fear of contaminating my brewery. So, and then I'm not too keen on sour beers, so I don't really risk want to risk it. You don't <laughs> want to dip, dip your log
1: in your wort. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't. I know. <laughs> as much as man, there's the temptation of just log dipping. I, I, I've withheld. I, I've tasted
0: a gamut of, uh, sour beers and some were excellent and some were horrible. Uh, I feel like I shouldn't experiment and find out where mine lie.
2: <laughs> he wants to dip his log in some beer. <laughs> you
1: are. Okay, let's uh, take another break and we'll be back uh, with a couple more questions right
0: after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys
1: look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. You're listening to Brew Strong. We are answering questions on fermentation. Fermentation. Oh, we got a few more to kind of get through. Effects of fermenter geometry. This is one of my, my favorite things. Early on as a home brewer, I've read about the effects of fermenter geometry or Or maybe I thought, you know, this, this has got to make some sort of difference. People were talking about fermenting in a plastic bucket versus fermenting in a carboy versus fermenting in a, uh, a corny keg. And so I'm just like, well... I'll just do all three side by side and see if there's any difference. Sure enough, there was. Uh, it was surprising to me. And that's what kind of got me on the whole fermenter geometry thing, which kind of got me onto open fermentation. Martin was asking, uh, and he, he copied, uh, Brian, uh, from, uh, Mystic Brewery and, uh, Brian, uh, actually gave him an answer. Uh, which, which I'm going to read. I'm going to just boldly go because it was, you know, it was copied on me t- to me too. Uh, let's see. First off, I want to thank you for, uh, all what I've learned through your generous sharing of information. I'm in the final stages of planning a microbrewery to be located near Montreal in Quebec. And one important aspect is the fermentation and storage of my beers. Looking at what is available on the market, I see that different fermenter shapes are used. Of course, most breweries use conical shaped fermenters. Some use slightly sloped or lightly coned dish-bottom fermenters, for example, the Latina fermenters. I don't know what that is. And others, like you, Brian, use square fermenters, IBC wine totes at Mystic Brewery. Uh, What is the effect of fermenter geometry on the fermentation profile? What are the technical advantages and disadvantages of each? Any reference document would be of great help. I'll be producing mostly Belgian ale types of beers, along with barrel-aged sours. Thanks again, Martin. I I wonder how Martin did with his brewery. That's just back from 2015, Uh, you know, uh, eight years later. Brian answered, uh, Martin, the quick answer is, as I'm on the way out the door, is jacketed conicals allow for excellent temperature control and uniform defined yeast metabolism, and thus flavor profile. Very good for lagers. And the cone allows easy yeast harvesting of the bottom fermenting lager yeast strains. Square fermenters are typically not jacketed all the way around and allow for more freedom of expression, in quotes, in your yeast. Uh, i.e., they, are f- they ferment at various temperatures with various metabol- uh, met- metabol- metabol- metabolic, metabolic, <laughs> metabolic, metabolic, thank you. They eat stuff, <laughs> pathways, and I don't know what's wrong. I'm getting old. Pathways going at, at, at the same time. And it's not all just me. There's a, there's a few typos in these things. It's actually quite difficult to make many Belgian ales on cylinder conicals. They're too strict, he says. However, squares can be difficult to harvest from. Depends on if you're using strains that you can top crop. Besides shape, the other big issue is hydrostatic pressure. Yeast uh, metabolism is also strongly affected by hydrostatic pressure. I commonly hear issues with strains fermenting too clean in very large fermenters. Certainly, there may be tricks to get around these issues, but we prefer the simplest approach. Good luck and cheers, Brian. So, that was very nice. Brian actually has a PhD at uh, Mystic Brewery in uh, Massachusetts. If you have a chance? Go visit him. So, yeah, I, I generally agree with uh, what uh, Brian's saying there. Fermenter geometry. One of the things about the cylinder conical is um it's very advantageous to the mixing of the wort. So the yeast tend to uh you know cause a stirring of the, the the cylinder in it because of the the shape it tends to to work very well. Yes, the yeast will drop even top fermenting yeast, top cropping yeast will eventually drop to the bottom and you can harvest them off there and if you do that regularly enough for example fuller's had, you know, open fermentation and they were top cropping uh, their yeast and then they switched to cylinder conicals. And eventually the yeast learned to, you know, well, you know, through selective pressure, they were harvesting off the bottom and their yeast became bottom uh, cropping yeast. The big problem with the cylinder conicals is, yeah they tend to be very tall when you get into the big commercial stuff and there's more hydrostatic pressure also they're closed top and so it collects more co2 at the top and you end up with uh, cleaner uh, fermentations less ester production and that is not always a good thing and a lot of american yeast since every american beer style since almost everybody uses cylinder conicals we've kind of gone over to yeah we want everything taste clean and minimal esters so that's not always the best thing if you're trying to brew you know belgians or British, uh, you know, uh, beers or things like that. Yeah. You gotta have, uh, you gotta have, uh, you know, that extra production. So that's kind of an issue with, with the saloon conicals. Um, the, one of the things about, you know, square shaped or, you know, fermenters with corners in them yeah, where I saw it, but there's a thing about dead corners. I think it may have been a, a George fix book. So in the, if you can imagine in a corner, how hard it is to clean the corner of a container. It's the same thing because the 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 action of the the, the yeast and the movement of the, the the beer as it's fermenting. The corners are what you call dead corners, so they don't tend to mix as much, and so that area tends to not get as well fermented and mixed. So it tends to, when fermentations are done in in uh, containers that have square corners. You get an increase in uh, diacetyl production and, uh, uh, you know, slightly less attenuation, uh, because of that as well, the corners as well. So that's a, a thing about that. I think, you know, his comments on, uh, you know, jacketing and things like that. You, you can get jacketed, uh, square containers, uh, now that can be moved around with forklifts and stuff. Kind of fun. Just generally, fermenter geometry does make a difference. Have you guys messed around
0: with different fermenter geometries? I have not. <laughs> Metabolic. I have not, but I had a thought. Uh, I mean, this is, I think it's a great discussion. Is it going to matter if you have something about the size of a corny, uh, something of the size of a carboy, or, you know, sort of the size of a conical? Are you, I mean, versus, versus what they've been using historically to do a uh, hectoliter is that I can't do the math on. Mm-hmm. Is it going to make a difference on a homebrew level? Just curiosity. Yes, it is. I can confirm that. Practical okay, experience, yes, and maybe even more so.
1: Um, you know, as you as you let's say you have a square container and you start increasing the the size of it, the the corners remain about the same size maybe they grow a little bit, but the in, internal volume becomes much larger. So the larger it gets, the more uh, volume of beer that doesn't uh, okay. have the effect. It's, it's
0: kind of diluting the corner. So uh, you have a higher ratio of corner to not corner in a yes. smaller environment than a larger environment. Yes. Exactly. Interesting.
2: I would say though, and Jamil, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, like you said, with the really tall, thirty mm-hmm. foot high conicals, those are yes. going to have more of an effect on that hydrostatic ester pressure production than like my yes. little yes, uh, you know, my little two footer right. here.
1: So right,
2: I your, small, maybe your, your small, your small vessel. With my small vessel, yeah.
1: Yes, your small vessel won't won't have as much pressure. My, my small cylinder. cylinder. Yes, yeah. your small cylinder. Your small <laughs> so, cylinder conical.
2: Yeah, so so maybe in that instance it's actually a little bit more yes. on the large scale, but th- it is kind of interesting to note though. Like I've heard that a lot of people really discourage trying to ferment in a corny keg for that that because of that tall cylindrical shape, just because of the way the mixing and the fermentation happens in this mm-hmm. skinny tall vessel versus like a wider something with a, like a bucket or or my fermenter. So,
1: you know, um, let's say you, uh, you had a two inch diameter pipe that was, you know, 40 foot long. You fill it with wort and that's your fermentation vessel. And you drop your yeast in and, you know, most of the yeast just goes to the bottom and it starts fermenting there. It may not mix sufficiently enough. Uh, one of the problems with large fermenters and breweries, and we had this issue at, at Heretic, right. um, was that when you're multi batching into them, you can get stratification, and the, the the fermentation will just lay there, and you know the the gravity is is different enough. After just a day, the gravity is different enough that they won't mix, and fermentation will just happen like underneath. And then sometimes it will all of a sudden just you get this tremendous mixing all of a sudden, uh, and we notice this because you know we get these wild temperature swings, so um, it it matters. So corny kegs. I don't think are a very good fermentation vessel, Uh, but, uh, you know, tall and skinny, but, uh, you know, better, maybe better than some others. You know, if you if you ferment in a two inch deep, wide, flat pan, you know, that's going to be different than if you ferment in a two inch wide, you know, four foot tall pan, you know, vessel. It, It does. It does change things. It will matter. Catherine from Washington state says, glad you got the stream going. We are too. Yes. It, uh, it was, it was a bit of a challenge. Um, let's see here. All right. So a good question from, uh, Martin. Uh, does anybody know if he opened his, uh, brewery in, uh, Uh, Montreal be nice, nice to find out. It's only, only eight years later, nine years later. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. Uh, Sean uh, from Pittsburgh asks, Dear John Jamel, this is again uh, 2015. Uh, Can you do a show on open fermentation? I can't find much technical information related to this topic. There are some point to counterpoint discussions online, but nothing convincing or definitive. For example, point. Increased oxygen availability to the yeast leads to increased organic acid production and therefore increased ester production. Uh, Counterpoint, CO2 evolution during active fermentation will prevent oxygen from reaching the fermentation. And point, shallower fermenters result in reduced osmotic pressure and therefore increased ester, ester production. Counterpoint, on the homebrew scale, the differences in osmotic pressure are negligible compared to a pro scale. Uh can you tell us what's really going on when open fermenting? Thank you, Sean. Uh yeah, yeah. Um I am a big fan of open fermentation. It really makes a world of difference in um the character of the beer. The the fermentation changes drastically just using the same yeast. I was recently in Dusseldorf and uh all the uh Dusseldorf alt beer producers in 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 the not all, but uh the, the really great ones are using open fermentation. Uh, it's how it's been done there. And uh, it makes a big difference. When I got back, all the all beer i had been brewing over the years using the, the yeast from White Labs, y yeast, uh, came up, you know, just too clean tasting. You know, people say they're, they're, you know, really clean. A lot of these fermentations, they start at 68 degrees Fahrenheit. they're ripping they're not you know cold fermenting them as as people might might think and uh you know they're open fermented so i i when i got back i i used open fermentation using the white labs uh, yeast and sure enough correct fermentation flavor made a huge difference a lot of the open fermentation in other parts of the world commercially they're not any deeper than I would say five to six feet deep they're not tremendously deep, so the commercial aspect of that is, is not really true it's yeah, five to six is different than you know two uh but not hugely different. The other thing about uh, CO2, uh, it's not necessarily the increased oxygen making the organic uh, acid production. Although a lot of the British uh, brewers in the past would rouse. They would they would mix the fermentation. At a certain point in fermentation, they would either dump it to another vessel using the, the double drop. Talking to John Keeling uh, from uh, Fuller's, he was telling me that the pipe that they dropped it in was a centered pipe and centered you know lots of little tiny holes and the 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 centered pipe, as you drop the liquid through would suck in oxygen and mix oxygen or mix air in with the the beer and others would pump it around and splash it uh in order to get more air into into the ferment in order for it to fully attenuate, but that would also you know help the yeast along and would produce. Uh, some other compounds the one of the things that happens is by not having a lid on the fermenter by having it open the co2 that is produced gets removed from the beer Uh, when you have a enclosed fermenter like a cylinder conical you know people say oh no it's open the you know there's no pressure on it the valves but it, it it traps co2 above there and uh, the partial pressure of gases, you know, the concentration of CO2 is high, you get more CO2 in solution, especially in, you know, the taller the fermenter is, the more CO2 is in solution. It is that CO2 in solution that prevents the yeast from uh, being more active and producing more of those compounds. So you get a, a cleaner beer, less, less ester production uh, in a taller fermenter and in an enclosed fermenter. By it being open, you get the CO2 removed. The partial pressure of CO2 in the gas the dissolved CO2 is less. The yeast become more active. They grow more. They ferment faster, all that stuff. There was a really good paper that uh, I was reading uh, just the other day. I made a note of it. It'll be in the next yeast book. I can tell you that. But um, it, it, it was uh, you know, a detailed analysis of the amounts of ester production by removing CO2 and, uh, it was mainly because of commercial use of yeast and alcohol production and stuff like that, where they, they just wanted to rip as fast as possible. And, um, you know, the compounds that are produced. So you don't necessarily, that's why people have asked over the years. I'm just rambling on, but people have asked over the years about. Uh, oh can't i you know if, if a stir plate helps ferment you know helps the the starter why can't i i'll put my 5 gallon carboy on a stir plate and and do fermentation that way the problem is you you know the reason that the stirred starter tastes so bad michael like we were talking earlier is because of the lack of co2 and the the activity of the yeast and it produces those flavors that's why you don't put your whole fermenter on a on a stir plate and that's why the you know the suppression of yeast activity is co2 concentration related that's why open fermentation matters um again commercial brewers it's maybe you know four to six feet deep and then um just an open top one of the things i want to do at uh i'm gonna brew beer with heretic coming up uh probably in may after or uh, maybe maybe April after I get back, I don't know. Whatever day we're gonna just blow air through the up arm and out the other, you know, one of the other arms, and just keep flushing the top of the the fermentation with air uh, from the compressor, which is essentially sterile air, and we're just gonna keep blowing any CO two produced off of the top of the off of the top of the beer, and I think that we're gonna get a good good yeast character that's going to taste like open fermentation without any of the risks of open fermentation and contamination. So stay tuned. I will let you know the results. It's going to be a, a great, a great uh,
0: bitter. So have you guys never open fermented or? Not intentionally. <laughs> Every so often, uh, I'll have less pressure on my, my very small conical Incidentally, Mm -hmm. because my PSV uh, bleeds, Mm -hmm. so I I won't have the whole blow-off to blah, blah, blah. And I I, I don't know that it made a difference. If we have time, we come back. I'll ask you a question about the open fermentation in general, but it sounds like Mike's got some good comments coming up.
2: Yeah, so we had talked about this, and just from a chemical gas solubility standpoint, I wanted to reiterate and kind of shed some more technical uh, things about this. And and we all know that pressurized fermentation, where we're using CO2 to pressurize the vessel to inhibit ester production, we all know that works. We've got it all documented and people believe in it. I would say this is the inverse, and it's actually pretty um, stark when you think about atmospheric air it only contains about 400 parts per million CO2. So that's like you know four one hundredths of one percent versus when you have a closed fermentation with a blow off, that's a hundred percent CO two. So uh, in chemical engineering, um, the way that gas is mixed with liquids, it's all a percentage of the partial pressure in the gas. So when your partial pressure is a hundred percent, you're getting a hundred percent CO two. You're gonna have a higher pressure in the liquid and and versus like a four hundred parts per million, you're gonna have essentially zero concentration of CO two at uh, steady you know once once you get to where it's all taken away so these are uh, very large changes I would guess in the fermentation profile for flavor and uh, I'm really excited I'm going to do a half a bites in uh, next month doing this where I use this guy but I was going to pump air in here and then just leave the blow off open mm-hmm and so we're evacuating the CO2 as we're I just wanted a lid on it to keep it from having anything fall in it or yeah. settle in it or getting wild yeast in there. So that was the only thing I was gonna do. But I'm super excited about this. And talking with Jamil, I was getting giddy because it all made sense to me in terms of solubility and and that I mean the partial the the gas, the CO2 concentration in the in the in the beer is, is essentially zero during fermentation because as soon as it's produced, it's evacuated out off the top.
1: Well it'll, it'll saturate to some point because it, it takes it, it, it takes longer to desaturate uh, a liquid of, of gases, saturated gases, than it does to saturate a liquid with gases. So it, it will take some time for it to come out. So there is still some, but not nearly as much as if you have a closed uh, enclosed fermenter with gas uh, CO2 on the top. But uh, excellent excellent answer, Michael. And for that, you earn yourself. Uh, I I'm gonna give you uh both both
0: points, Travis. You're gonna get zero for that one. I, I've got some bonus material here. Why, <laughs> Michael? I'm sure you do. Uh, uh so, so, one of the things you uh, so uh but, Jamil, you, uh, the blowing of the air through it, and Mike yes. considering how you're gonna you know encapsulate your fermenter, and then looking at what the Brits did when uh, when we visited Sean's uh, one of Sean's many breweries. He's a Hebrews everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, Sam Brooks. And it might not have been right. that one at a time. I think. It's so, had, yeah. they had the they had a, uh, a lid on the top of the but it, of it's, the fermenter. it's Nothing. It's just like right. sheet metal but sitting on top. It, it was it was enclosing it. It was keeping yeah. CO2 on the top. And I, yes. one of the things. I mean, I loved the the beer they were making there at Sam Brooks, but it was cleaner than I would yes. expect. It seemed more modern than uh old school to me right and and he' he's on uh, season
0: 01 at one of his breweries so that's pretty have, um modern
1: well yeah i don't know it's, at sandbrooks i don't think they were but i would have preferred you know a little more ester profile there still a so, great beer i think it won you know the best bitter in at uh you know
0: yeah gbbf or whatever it was so there's the other beer. question so are, are the but are the düsseldorf ones are they totally open totally open uh, just okay. a Big bin.
1: They, they scrape the Brunhoff of it uh, and, and at, uh, uh, Zum Schlüssel, uh, it actually, you know, they fill it to a very specific point, And then the, the top of the yeast just sloughs off into a trough into the drain. And they've got it to, you know, it's German, you know, precision. And <laughs> it just cuts the, the top of the, the Brunhoff off of that into the, into the, into the dumper can
2: i uh, uh, ask one more question on this so yeah with this we're trying to encourage ester production to get a more expressive fermentation would you recommend though after high croissant falls that maybe we should cover it if it's not covered or maybe you could close it off once you've reached that i know that some brewers uh talk about doing their open fermentations and then they do that for the first two or three days and then they Mm -hmm. close it down to kind of finish it right and I, I just wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Cause I, I was definitely thinking that's what I would do with this half is bites. And I get to high Christ and right before I started on maturation rest, I'd I'd probably close it down and, and, and then get back to more of a normal.
1: You certainly protein. can. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, in the, in the case of what you're doing, I think that you're going to get, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're not going to have to worry about, you know, contamination or anything the way you're doing it. But, uh, yeah, the thing is, if if it's totally open and the the is formed, and you know, bacteria and wild yeast are landing on top of the of the kruisen, uh if that whole thing falls back down into the, <laughs> the fermenter, eh, it's in, it's in your beer. the The thing that uh, the uh, open fermentation people do is they skim the top at, at a certain point, and by the skimming, they're reducing the amount of of that stuff that's in there. A lot of the old British breweries, they have what's called a parachute. It's like a cone, and uh, it's on an adjustable crank. And it will—they lower it down just so the top of the 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 yeast just skims off down into the cone and goes down a pipe to the dump. And they can lower that a little further, uh, you know, however much they need. And then when it's time to harvest yeast, they crank it down a little bit further. And then they collect their yeast off of that through that same cone, and then they use that to pitch their next beer. So they've got clean yeast. They've gotten rid of the top, and they collect what's underneath that. They save that for pitching, and then maybe you get some stuff into that beer. But the beer is going to be consumed hopefully within you know a short period of time before anything that might have gotten in there could have an effect. Yeah, I mean, I have one more follow up, but I don't know if you want to. Move on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go on yeah go ahead. Ahead.
2: No. Go ahead. Go ahead. So my last one was so at a homebrew scale where maybe you don't really want to be top cropping or doing any of this stuff with the open lid. Right. Would you think that kind of my model of I was going to actually put a HEPA filter on this guy? So I'm pumping hopefully you know right filtered air through there and and try yeah. to keep it a little cleaner and that way maybe I I don't have to worry about top cropping and and worrying about bacteria falling back into my beer. So. Right. I'm, yeah. Okay. I just, I'm really excited about this, and I'm not really much for top cropping. And
1: yeah, I th- I think yeah. it's great. I you know I think if you do it this way, you don't need to worry about top cropping or anything like that. Uh, and you know, Hefeweizen—that's another another beer where they do open ferments in Germany with Hefeweizen. So yeah. some some breweries do, not all. But uh, I think you'll you're probably going to get a much better Hefeweizen uh, I love
2: through
1: Hefeweizen, it. So yeah, send, send me a. I want oh, to. I want to taste it. I want to taste it. That's um, what she's saying. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Come on, You can't be doing oh, that sort of thing these days. All right, uh, <laughs> let's take one last break, and then we'll we'll wrap up with with one final question right after this. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. You listen to Bruce Strong. sponsored by Blickman Engineering. Blickmanengineering.com. Check them out. They've been sponsoring this show for, I don't know, how long have we been doing this? Uh, 16, 17 years? Your 16 years, I think, is the first episode I can remember. Jeez.
0: Uh, you it's have to catch well. that check before John. Oh, he's already out the door. Damn it.
1: <laughs> Where John's left. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, listen back to the <laughs> beginning of the show. We're having a party for John Blickman retirement party in, uh, in, in North Tahoe at Alibi Ale Works, uh, May 4th, of 2024. It's a Saturday. Come on out. You'll see us all there. Uh, don't think Travis to make it, but Michael will be there. I'll be there. Uh, uh, Blickman will be there. John Palmer will be there. And uh Kevin Drake will be there, and I think uh Justin Crosley will be there as well. Should be a lot of fun. Uh I, hey, I can yeah. I can vouch
2: for Alibi. They're one of the best breweries in our area, they make fantastic beer. Yeah,
1: great, uh, great folks. As great well. place to be. Yeah, great food, it's awesome It'll, it'll yeah. be a lot of fun. It'll be a great party. Uh hey, Jamel and John, awesome show. My question is this. Uh oh, yeast when using spunding valve is the top Uh my question is this: if you transfer almost completely fermented beer three to four gravity points remain, to a warm sealed secondary, uh, sealed with a spunning valve, with the purpose of using those remaining gravity points to naturally carbonate the beer, will your yeast harvests from the primary become less and less attenuative because of the less flocculent, probably more attenuative yeast that you transfer into the secondary each time? Thanks, Mason. Michael? I would recommend... Oh, it's did I give you two points for your answer for the partial pressure of gases? I think you did. At least two. I think that was excellent. Yes. I don't know. I, You've taken the lead. I'm pushing the line on the, the jokes, though, I guess. So. Yes. Yeah.
2: You may start to lose a point. They got it on the office 10 million Careful. times. I think I'll be all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes. Anyways, uh Yeah, so... I could see this a couple ways. The big one for me is if you could at all put that on your primary and just spun the primary, then you would avoid all of this because you'd be staying on that same yeast cake and you'd have the same completion of the yeast. I'd worry that transferring with three to four Play Doh left, you know, you're, I mean, th- if that's left in fermentation, like you're at 1025 or something, 1030, you're going to end up with yeah, yeast that does I mean, not only doesn't attenuate, but you might end up Selecting for yeast that doesn't uh, finish and, and clean up the acetyl and, and, and acetaldehyde, so I mean you, you would know Jamil. that's my worry though is I 'd be right. selecting for these yeasts that aren't finished yet and went to bed early
1: yeah and- um, I, I I think you you, you give a, a a solid answer on this um, the for example the getting back to Dusseldorf um, they will uh, be you know. I, most German brewers because they're not allowed to add carbon dioxide. They have to, uh, spun to carbonate their beer. The Dusseldorf brewers, they want a very lively, gassy beer to go into the keg, uh, because it's gravity poured and then, you know, it froths up and that's how they get the head. Um, so they will at, you know, like four Plato, they will, uh, uh, Put the spunning valve on, and they will do it in, in the main tank. Put the spunning valve on, build up the CO2 pressure, and then they transfer. Uh, once, once they've uh, finished the fermentation, so um, I, I agree with you. I, I think if you want to uh transfer, I would transfer a little more early. It, it I mean, if if you're only doing three to
0: four gravity points, um, yeah. What am I missing here? Why is, uh, why is Mason transferring at all? Um, I would think
2: maybe his fermenter can't pressurize. He has to go somewhere where he can pressurize, which mm-hmm. was my problem for a long okay. time.
0: So you, Okay, so he transfers into something he can. Like fund. a keg. Yes, yeah. gotcha, okay. So he doesn't want all the yeast in there. Because his problem is, is generic to not just funding, but anyone who's primary and secondary and their primary yeast is not going to necessarily be the yeast they want to pitch over and over and over again
1: right well you could you could uh either transfer the whole thing mm-hmm. at that point, including all your yeast, leave Recover some of the true behind yeast into into your keg, you know sponge, get carbonated, and then transfer the thing again and collect your yeast that way, or you could harvest your yeast at the beginning and then you could harvest yeast off of the 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 wherever you've you've set your beer to uh to uh, Secondary harvest the yeast off of that. You just mix the two together. Um, you know, there you go. You, you, you can you do both.
2: I have one other idea. If you really want to get into the Reinhast boot, you could take some of that wort off before you pitch and save it and yes. then do us what is it? Crystal is the word, I think, or croisening where you mm-hmm. you'd have that croisen in your keg and then you'd just transfer onto that wort and you'd basically be keg conditioning. Yes. With your spunding valve or whatever vessel you have that you can actually pressurize nice. and bam, you've got a, and you can let your beer Excellent. finish in the primary and go to the secondary with whatever yeast comes over is plenty and you'll get nice, beautiful
1: carbonation. With that, you earn another point and you have won the episode.
0: Great
1: <laughs> job, Mike. Play, play, play the music. Do I have music. to do
2: like at the end of whose line and
1: do Jay, some JP, song or something? Play the music.
2: Uh, I used to be, emperor, but then I quit. our turkey.
1: I
0: oh. take some points back. Uh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. You just lost <laughs> a couple of points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, don't, don't, of
1: don't, of don't don't okay. push it. You're gonna yeah. Are gonna give Travis the win here? Uh. All right.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> I
1: I'm, to I'm an entertainer. You
2: gotta you gotta be willing to risk it. And that I is a, that is the end of
1: this episode. <laughs> uh many thanks to if you're listening live, stay tuned because we got another episode coming right up. We're sorry we started late. Uh we had some technical difficulties with uh, the Facebook and the Zoom. But uh other than that, uh we're we're rocking and rolling. we got a whole other show coming up with uh in just a couple of minutes. We're going to take a a quick break for uh to grab another beer and for those with walnut bladders uh uh to uh to to take care of that problem. Uh, but we'll be starting up just momentarily, so stay tuned. We won't even close this feed off. You can just stay on the same feed, and we will uh, uh, be with you back in very shortly. So um, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for for sending an email to feedback at blickmanengineering.com and telling them how much you appreciate that they continue to sponsor the show, even though John Blickman's leaving. Uh, make sure you do that because it'll be important. Anyways, uh, thanks to everybody. Uh, Brew strong. Brew strong. Brew strong, everyone.